the garden and society gets together because they, they have a common interest. Certain ethnic groups get together because they have a common ethnicity. Certain history, daughters of the Confederacy or, or some other uh, group that has a historical reason why they come together. That's the idea behind most show social gatherings of people. That's not the idea behind the church. We're not united together because we see the same on everything. We're not united together because we come from the same background or because we have the same education level or because we share the same interest. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us together. That is the single unifying theme in the church. We all were once lost, but now we're saved by the grace of God. Every one of us uh, was a sinner lost, uh, and the grace of God reached down and lifted us out of a miry clay. That's what binds us together. Amen? The strength of the church lies in its diversity. However, with diversity, there will inevitably be differences of opinion. And we started last week discussing in the first six verses of chapter 14 how the church is supposed to handle differences of opinion on non-moral issues, issues that don't have anything to do with salvation. We laid out the point of Christian liberty and said that in areas where the Bible is silent and where there is no clear direction of Scripture, or a clear moral principle that might be applied to the situation in, in something that is not salvific, that doesn't involve salvation, then we have some liberty regarding what we do. Amen? There's some freedom of choice. There's some freedom of uh, uh, we, can, we don't have to see eye to eye. We don't have to agree on all of those things. And we ended last week's lesson with a statement that we should not be judgmental. When someone exercises his or her Christian liberty in a different way than we would, it's real easy to condemn them. It's real easy to tear them down. It's real easy to, to put them on a level lower than us. Amen. And what we do is we cause division and strife in between us and our brothers and sisters in the Lord because of petty disagreements. Non-moral issues, non-salvation issues. And last week we gave one reason why judging them was wrong. That reason was that they are the servants of the Lord. And they answer to Him, not to us. Amen? Just like we answer to Him, not to them. And so what they do in non-moral non-salvation situations is in between them and God, and they will ultimately answer to God for that. It's not our business to govern their life. It is our business to make sure we keep things right between us and God. Amen? Now, this morning, we'll pick up with that theme and further develop the reason why we should not judge our brothers and sisters in the Lord in issues pertaining to non-moral, non-salvation exercises of Christian liberty. We'll begin in verse 7. We'll go through verse 12. If you want to read with me. Matter of fact, if you want to stand with me for the reading of the Word of God, Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 7 says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? 
Uh, why dost thou send a knot? Why dost thou send at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's our text for this morning. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? We love you. We thank you for your anointing. I'm asking, Lord, you allow the Spirit of God just to illuminate the Word of God in this place and let it speak into our hearts and our lives. Let it touch us. Let it change us. Let it impact us, God, that we'd never be the same again. In the precious name of Jesus, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. We've all heard the statement that no man is an island. No man stands alone, and it is true in the most general of senses. We are social creatures, amen. We, we depend on one another. We, we tend to network with one another. We tend to, we tend to uh, do better whenever we can come together and, and get a, a, a fellowship of like-minded people around us to help support us and help, uh, help us carry our burdens. None of us is... Uh, made to live in isolation. None of us was made to to live apart and alone. Amen. We were made to be a part of something bigger than we are, and particularly in the church. Amen. There's no Christian that was made to be a, a solo Lone Ranger Christian. Amen. The Ephesians chapter four and verse twenty five. The Word of God tells us that we are members of one another. Amen. Not just members of the body of Christ, but members of each other. That, that, that thing that ties us together, that makes us a part of the church, that links our lives together with the broader idea of the church, links us together. Amen. We're a part of each other. Amen. We are a part of a whole. Uh, when my brother hurts, I hurt. When my sister's wounded, I'm wounded. That's the principle that is at work here. Those fellow believers that, that are on the same journey with me, I am a part of them and they are a part of me and we need each other. Don't ever get the idea you don't need each other, amen. You need somebody in your life to support you. You need somebody in your life to care about you. You need somebody in your life to come along and encourage you from time to time, amen. We need the church. We really do. You're not going to make it to heaven on your own. That's why the scripture says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's not because it matters what the attendance role of the church says. It matters because you need it. You need the fellowship of the body of Christ. You need the fellowship of believers. You need the encouragement that you get. When you come to the house of God and you see uh, Sally struggling and overcoming the problems in her life and you see that and you recognize if God can do that for her, God can do that for me. Amen? You need that. So that's the point that Paul starts with this morning. No man lives unto himself and no man dies unto himself. The first thing that we notice in this passage, beginning with this verse, is that it is all-inclusive. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself, both in our living and our dying. The whole circumference of our lives 
has a broad impact beyond our immediate lives. We don't, we don't do any of that by ourselves or unto ourselves. That tells me that everyone in this room needs to recognize that your life matters. The way you live matters. The way you conduct yourself matters. The decisions you make on a week-to-week basis, they matter. What you do tomorrow matters because you affect more than just you. You see, if you were the Lone Ranger and your actions only affected you, it wouldn't matter so much. It's just between you and God. But no man lives unto himself. And no man dies unto himself. Your life has a broader impact than just your decisions have a broader impact than just you and your life. Amen? I'm pastor. I could wade right off into a lot of stuff. We'd never get back to the text this morning. Right here, right now. And whether or not you serve God impacts more than you. There's family. There's kids. There's brothers and sisters. There's moms and dads that are impacted by your choices, by your decisions. The way you live and the way you die, it matters to more than just you. That funeral home this afternoon will be filled with a large group. They said at the, at the hospital when the coroner came to pick up the body that Brother George's funeral was the largest funeral in the history of Emerson Funeral Home has never been eclipsed to this day. I don't know that Sister George's will be as large, but I know that there will be a tremendous gathering of people. Why? Because a life touches people. Because the way you live your life touches people. Because of the decisions you make, they matter. They matter to more than just you. There are people that will spend eternity in either heaven or hell because of your choices. Oh, that's a heavy weight to bear. But that's the truth of the matter. The point that is about to be made in this passage is not just that our lives are intrinsically linked to one another as members of the body of Christ, but that we are linked to Christ. We're linked to Jesus. Everything that we do, everything that we say, every decision that we make, the way we live our lives, what we do on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis, all of it reflects on Jesus Christ. We don't just serve ourselves as if we were our own masters. We don't just make up our mind how we're going to live as if we were the controller of our destiny. We are the servants of the Lord, and all of our life and all of our living belongs to Him. Amen? When we became His servant, He became our master. When we surrendered our life to Him, we covered this earlier in the book of Romans, Our will was swallowed by his will. Amen. We're not in charge anymore. We're not in control anymore. To be the servant of the Lord is to recognize he has the authority over my life. And my life then is a reflection of what that means. People form their opinions of Jesus Christ by the way that I live my life. You've heard the saying, You're the only Bible some people are going to live. That's absolutely, or some people are going to read. That's absolutely true. The life you live is going to determine what some people think about church. Some people will never darken the door of a church. Will never hear an anointed preacher preach unless they see something in your life 
that reflects the, the power and the anointing of God. People will form their opinions. They'll form their ideas uh, of Jesus Christ and of the church based on the way that we live our lives. Because of that, everything we do should bring him glory. Amen? Everything we do, every decision we make should honor him. Amen? Every choice should be made with the knowledge that my actions in this matter, it may be non-moral, it may be non-salvific, it may not matter a hill of beans to anybody in the world, but my decision in this matter will reflect on Jesus Christ. That matters. Amen? Verse 8 says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. This is where he's making that point. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord. So once again, Paul emphasizes the all-inclusiveness of what he's talking about. There's nobody under the sound of my voice that is excluded this morning from this passage of Scripture. None of us lives in isolation our whole life. And now even our death belongs to God. Everything about our life belongs to the Lord. No matter what we do, whether in living or in dying, we belong to Jesus. We were bought with a price. We were purchased at Calvary. We are his and he is ours. Amen. And I mentioned it earlier this morning. Perhaps the greatest comfort that you can have in, in this life and in death is knowing that he belongs to you. Amen. That you are his and that he is yours. Perhaps the greatest comfort you can have in times of distress and trial is knowing that he is your provider. Amen. Perhaps the greatest comfort you can have in times of disease and sickness is knowing that he is your healer. That he is your sovereign God. That even when he doesn't heal, he's still good. Amen. But it's equally true and incredibly important that we recognize that in all of our living and dying, we belong to him as much as he belongs to us. Amen. Our life matters because it reflects on him. Our life matters because it is an extension of his grace and mercy. And people recognize in us the fact that we belong to the church. Amen. Last week. We establish the fact that you have some liberty in non-moral choices. Now Paul is establishing the governing principle in those same situations. Everything in my life, moral or not, salvific or not, everything in my life should honor God. That's the principle. Everything in my life should glorify him. Whatever course of action I choose, whatever decision I make, wherever I go, whatever I do, my choice should honor God. My life should honor God. The things I do, the words that come out of my mouth should give honor and glory to God. Amen? No part of our life or death, not even the seemingly insignificant things, is outside of the boundaries of our responsibility to our Lord. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, 
we die to the Lord. No matter if we're living or if we're dying, we belong to him. He is the master and we are the servants and our lives are his. Amen. Verse 9 says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So Jesus has... By, by, by right, of, he has the right to be our Lord by virtue of the fact that he died and rose and revived. That he, his death and resurrection, he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again from the grave. And then he did all of that, that he may be our Lord. That he may be our master. That he may rule us and govern us both in living and in dying. He bought us. Amen. We were sold under sin. We were the servants of unrighteousness. We were as lost as lost could be. We were not in control of ourselves then either. Sin was in control of us. But now we've been bought with a price. Now we belong to him. Now we've entered into his kingdom and now he is the king. Amen. The emphasis here is our servant relationship with the Lord. He's earned the right to govern our lives. We were, we were bought with his blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when the scripture calls that blood precious blood, it means there's none like it. Uh, amen. There's never been a man like that man. There's never been one that was both God and man at the same time. There's never been blood shed like the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. And there is no way that you could ever understand the value of that blood. It was precious blood. Uh, amen. And that precious blood was shed so that I could live a life free, so that I could be set free from the burden of sin, from the guilt of sin, and from the judgment and condemnation that I was under because of sin. Amen. He bought me so that I could live free. Is it asking too much then that we would live lives that reflect His goodness and His mercy and His grace and His honor that we would glorify Him in our living. The key to achieving harmony in the church is not to reach a unity of opinion on every single issue. The key to reaching harmony in the church, as diverse as the church is, lies in recognizing the importance of our relationship with God. If He's truly the Lord of our lives, and if we live lives with that in mind, that He must be glorified in everything that we do, then we will honor Him in our interactions with each other. Amen. That becomes the, the balm that, that lubricates the friction between differing viewpoints and differing backgrounds and differing uh, ideas and all of us coming together from different parts of society. That becomes the, the thing that causes us to be able to mold it together into one person, into one body, into one church because all of us recognize that we live a life that glorifies Him and we have to glorify Him not just in, in, in my daily decisions but in my relationship with those around me. Amen. That brings us to verse 10, which is the crux of the entire passage. Verse 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother? In light of all that we just said, why do you judge your brother? And why dost thou set a knot, set at knot thy brother? 
For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So now we return to the issue of judging one another. That's where we started. That's where we left off last week. That's what this passage is about. If you go back to, to last week and pick up the point, the, the previous point was made is that we should not judge each other because the Lord is Lord over each of us. Amen. We shouldn't judge our brother because our brother answers to God, not to us. That was the point that was made last week. We, we shouldn't be in judge, judgment over each other because ultimately the Lord is the judge of us all. The emphasis here is on the exclusive right of God to judge others. That belongs to him and him alone. He's the only one that has the right to judge others. That, that's the result of his sovereign lordship. He's Lord, we're the servants. And as servants, we don't have the right to judge. That's his right. Amen? Instead, we will all stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will stand one day alongside one another. We're all going to stand in the same place, on the same level, in front of the same Lord and judge. And he's going to judge us all. Amen? There are a couple of things that Paul does here. First of all, he reminds us that we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's an important thing to remember. We're, we're brothers and sisters at this juncture in the conversation, he's making sure that we realize that we all occupy the same strata of the kingdom of God. We are brothers and sisters. There is none greater among us, and there is none lesser among us. We are brothers and sisters. We stand on the same level ground. Amen? We've all been bought with the blood of Jesus. We all belong to him. We are all a part of the church we are all on the same level ground at the foot of the cross. We're brothers and sisters. We share a common experience. And my experience doesn't elevate me above you. And your experience doesn't elevate you above me. We're equal. Amen? So if you understand that, then you understand the question here. Because it would be absurd for us to look down our nose at our brother or sister as if we were better than them. They're our brother. They're our sister. We're on the same level. Amen. We're not better than them. We're in the same place. Both of us are going to face the same judge. Amen. In conjunction with that truth, Paul also reminds us that judgment is universal. We said that living and dying for the Lord is universal. None of us is excused from that. But he, now he tells us that judgment is universal. The same Lord is going to judge us all. Every one of us. And that knowledge should cause us to pause a moment and think twice before we judge somebody else. Because the Lord's going to judge us. It should remind us that we're human too. That we are nothing better than sinners saved by the abundant grace of God. I can't get into heaven on my own virtue. I can't walk through those pearly gates by any good thing that I have done. If I get to the heaven one day and I sure hope and believe that I will, I'm going to get there by the grace of God. It's going to be because he had mercy on me. It's going to be because he had compassion on me. I'm never going to walk down heaven's streets of gold and say, I deserve this. I belong here. Amen. This is something I earned. I'm going to get there by the grace of God. Amen. 
that knowledge should then spur us back to the message of the previous chapters. We should love like we've been loved. We should show mercy like we've received mercy. Rather than standing in judgment over our brothers and sisters, we should show them the kind of mercy that God has shown to us. We should show them the kind of love that God has shown to us. The recognition of the coming judgment of God and the fact that the only way that I'll ever escape it is by His mercy should be enough to take me off my high horse and cause me to look at my brother and sister in a different light. We stand in the same place. Their struggle is my struggle. Their battle is my battle. The same sin and temptation that besets them, it besets me too. Maybe in a different way. Maybe in a different place. Maybe in a different setting. But we all struggle. And we all live by the grace of God. And we all will stand before the same judge one of these days. Amen. Verse 11 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now Paul reaches back to the Old Testament for Scripture to back up what he's saying. The verse that he selects to quote from is Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 23, which says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the Lord. I'm going to stop and point out here, like I always do, that Paul has taken a verse out of the Old Testament that speaks directly of God, the Ancient of Days, the Father, if you will, and he relates it to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to point out, as I often have, that in the mind of Paul and the other New Testament writers, there's absolutely no distinction of persons between Jesus and Jehovah. They were the same, one and the same. Jesus was, in Paul's mind, the Jehovah God of the Old Testament, the Ancient of Days, the one who was and is and forever will be. Amen? And, and, and it's not an accident that he says that because he uses the exact same verse in the exact same manner in the book of Philippians. It's intentional. Paul sees nothing wrong with applying Old Testament scriptures pertaining to God to Jesus Christ. And neither should we. Amen. Our view of Jesus Christ... Our view of the Godhead should not be influenced by years and years of dogma and tradition and traditional Christianity. It should be influenced by the Word of God and the way the first century church saw Jesus Christ. And they saw Jesus Christ as God manifest in the flesh. Amen? Now, to bow the knee before God is an act of submission. And to confess God with the tongue is to acknowledge that He and He alone is Truly God. Incidentally, the word confess means to praise. It doesn't mean to confess your sins. We'll get there in verse 12. But it refers to confessing or acknowledging the lordship of God. Acknowledging his worthiness to be worshipped. Acknowledging his right to judge us. He is Lord he is God. And once again, there's a universal 
Uh, there's an emphasis on the universal nature of this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. No one is excluded. No one living or dead ever in the history of humanity is excused from this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. We will all stand in the same place one of these days and we'll all bow our knees together and we will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Amen? Some will do it in terror. Some will do it in grudging resentment, having rebelled against God their entire lives. And others will do it in a sincere act of willing worship because they long ago recognized that Jesus was Lord of their lives. But every person who ever lived on God's green earth is going to stand one day in eternity and bend their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a universal truth. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Verse 12 says, So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Every one of us will give an individual account of ourselves to God. That's probably the most sobering of thoughts that you're going to have today. I will stand before God one of these days. Brother Donnie, I'm going to have to give an account for myself. No one's going to stand between me and God. Pastor is not going to be there to defend me or to give his opinions. I'm going to answer for myself. I'm going to answer to God one of these days, at the end of my life, at the end of my days. I'm going to stand before God alone, all by myself, and I'm going to give an account for my own life. That's the sobering reality. Judgment, the judgment of God does not just embrace all persons. It embraces all deeds as well. Every thing that we have done. The Bible says we're going to answer for every idle word, for every careless deed, for every choice, for every decision, for everything in our lives. We're going to give an account for ourselves. And we're going to give an account for ourselves, not for somebody else. So often when we get into the issues that Trouble us, we start with what somebody else did to us. We lay the blame somewhere else. When you stand before God one of these days, you're not going to lay the blame at anybody else's feet. You're going to give an account of yourself. You're going to give an account of your actions. We will answer for what we have done, not for what others have done. Others will answer for what they have done. We will answer for what we have done. We will answer for how we reacted when we were wronged. We will answer for what we did when God was faithful to us. We will answer for the way that we carried on our lives, for the decisions that we made. For every single moment that we have lived, we will give an account. And listen, we're not going to give that account to our pastor. We're not going to give that account to our fellow Christians. We're going to give that account to God. We're going to answer to God for our lives. What will we say on that day? 
When we stand guilty as charged, what will we say on that day whenever every... Listen, we, we're real good at giving ourselves a pass. We're real good at making excuses. You know, somebody else does wrong, we're quick to throw the stone at them. But when we do the same thing, we're quick to give justification for why it's okay that we did it. What are we going to do on that day when all those excuses are stripped away? We stand in the presence of the Ancient of Days, the one who was and is and forever will be, the ruler of all the universe, and give an account for our lives. What will we say? We better be able to claim the blood of Jesus Christ because it's our only hope. When we have to confess every wrong thought, when we have to confess every wrong word, when we have to confess every decision that was wrong and that we knew was wrong, when we did it, we better be able to rely on the blood of Jesus Christ. We better be able to point to a place in time where we bent our knee at an altar and surrender our life to him and let the blood of Jesus cover us. We better be able to look back to a place where the blood of Jesus washed us clean. Where he became the Lord, the master, the ruler of our whole life. We better be able to place our hope in him. We better be able to say that we surrendered all to him. We better be able to say that we lived a life that reflected that reality. No, that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. You're going to stumble and you're going to fall. That means you better get it under the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That means you better get it right with God. And you better do everything you can to keep it right with God. Because one of these days, you're not going to... It's easy to answer to me. I'm a real easygoing guy. I hate to come down hard on somebody. But it's not so easy to answer to him. Amen? But we're all going to answer to him. Every one of us, one of these days, going to stand in his presence. Not just the big things. Everything in our life. Everything. Every decision. Every word. Everything. That's why the instructions of the previous verses are so important. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you can live any way that you can live. Just because you, you're a part of the church doesn't mean that you can act any way that you want to act. Doesn't mean that you can do anything that you want to do. You're still going to answer for your actions. You still have a burden to live a life that glorifies God. Amen? So rather than endeavoring to sit in judgment over one another, we should be living lives that acknowledge the fact that we're one day going to be judged ourselves. I better be focused on taking care of my business. Let somebody else take care of their business. Amen. I better focus on living a life that glorifies Him as Lord. That honors Him in everything I do. And let somebody else worry about their problems. That's not my business anyway. Because both of us. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of God one of these days. Both of us are going to give an account for ourselves. Amen.
Would you stand with me? Brother Ryan, would you come to the music? Brother Bernard points out that there are three important principles that have been presented in this chapter that should govern how we conduct ourselves in regards to non-moral issues. First of all, every person should have his or her own personal convictions. We talked about this last week. You should settle the issue for yourself between you and God, remembering that He is the ultimate authority in your life. Secondly, we should all follow our conscience and our personal convictions in non-moral issues or non-moral matters. In those areas where the Bible is silent on non-moral issues, where there's no guiding moral principle provided in the Word of God that determines what we should do, in those places we should carefully consider our conduct in light of the fact that we belong to Him. We should settle the issue with Him. There should be a personal conviction that comes from Him, and then we should abide by that. Amen. It doesn't matter what somebody else does. It doesn't matter how somebody else lives. My conviction is between me and him. Amen. And then finally, we must acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ in all things. Ultimately, even in non-moral issues, we are not our own authority. He is the Lord. And we have to honor him in the choices we make. When we answer to Jesus Christ, then that should be reflected in everything that we do in the way that we live on a day-to-day basis. When we're faced with choices to be involved in some activity or, or to do something or to be a part of this or that that is non-moral, that doesn't have anything to do with salvation, that the Bible doesn't speak clearly on, the question we should ask ourselves is, can I do this and still glorify God? Can I give honor to God in doing this? That's just good, basic Bible. Can I be a part of this? Will this choice help me honor God? Help me glorify God? Or is this choice going to be detrimental to my witness and my testimony? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 succinctly states that Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the ultimate test. Does my life honor God? Does my life give thanks to him? Can can I do everything that I do in the name of Jesus Christ? Can I do everything that I do in light of His glory and His honor? That's the measuring stick by which we measure not our brothers and sisters' lives. We're good at measuring them. That's the measuring stick by which we measure ourselves. Can I glorify God? Does what I do glorify God? Does the way I react and the way that I carry myself in whatever business endeavor or whatever personal endeavor or whatever entertainment or, 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 or hobby or whatever I'm involved in, can I glorify God? Do I glorify God? Because one of these days I'm going to give an account for my actions. The good news this morning is that your account's not settled until you draw your last breath. While that is not an invitation to live any way you want to live and know that you can always get right with God, 
because you know that you're not promised tomorrow. None of us has promised to make it to this evening's meal. But it is acknowledgement of the fact that as long as you're drawing breath, you can get your life under the blood of Jesus Christ. You can leave this house today with a firm confidence that it is right between you and God. Regardless of what is in the past, regardless of what happened even last week, you can put it all under the blood of Jesus. And you can walk out of this house with the confidence that if today is the day that I stand before Him, I can give an account of my soul that begins with these words. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't worthy of it. The list of my wrongs and grievances is long. But the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sin. He who knew no sin, he died in my place. The just for the unjust. I want to invite you this morning to come to an altar and take a moment. I would that every person under the sound of my voice would put your life under the blood of Jesus fresh and new in this house. In acknowledgement of the fact that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of God. One day we will give an account of our lives. Let us make certain it's under the blood of Jesus. It's under the blood of Jesus. Jesus in your name. Would you call out to him right now?